we have a fanboy in our midst. All right, <laughs> <laughs> I try not to embarrass myself. Oh, dude, yeah. Good luck with that, then, mate. Good luck with it. <laughs> Welcome to the Full Stop Podcast with Berenice Lee Smith from Walking Our Shoes, Sarah Lawrence from After the Storm, and me, Michael Hughes from Married and Childless. Uh, hey, and if you're curious about us, pop over to our Meet the Presenters episode. I guarantee you it will be a laugh. And if this is your first time here, we're centred around supporting the Childless Not By Choice community. Our aim is to be a focal point for the community, and with all our special guests, show you how to manage your grief and the issues specific to us. And, by example, show how a happy and full life can be had without children. Now, this month's topic is inspiring stories, and we've got Susan Muir from GrampiansNaturePrograms.org, who will be not only inspiring us, but helping us understand the healing power of nature. Now, Susan is also childless not by choice, and is running a four-day nature-based retreat this Easter down here in Australia. There will be more about that later, so let's get on with the chat. Michael's All having right. a moment. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to, to, to meet you. Um, Michael's just telling us that he hadn't connected um, you and your husband to the magazine that he used to read, Wild Magazine, and he's just telling us a bit more about that. Yes, I wrote for that magazine a, a couple of times, and John also wrote about some of his journeys in that too. So oh, well, that's know. interesting that Penny's just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> We have a fanboy in our midst. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I try not to embarrass myself. Oh, dude, dude, yeah. Good luck with that then, mate. Good luck with it. <laughs> oh, dear. Berenice, bottom left. Is that, yeah, Berenice? Uh, yeah, that's me. Sarah. Yes. Yeah, Sarah. We're both, we're both based in the UK. So I'm based in Cambridge. Um, Sarah, you're based in, you're London, aren't you? London, mate. No, no, Kent. Well, Kent, close, yeah. Close to London, it's kind yeah. of, it's all, yeah. You'd be forgiven for, with the accent and that, but no, it's Kent, so. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is us in the Full Stop podcast and of course Michael as well who invited you. Thank you for joining us today um, on the podcast. It's just a very timely subject, I think, to talk about your life and um, the, the issue, the episode we're doing is inspiring stories. So it's giving people hope when I think they when they're going through times of grief because we, we have an audience um, I think it's fair to say who are either starting off coming to terms with childlessness not by choice or they're somewhere a little bit further along the road um, they fall into sort of those sort of long it's a very long journey I suppose it's an endless it's a life journey I suppose really um, as I think we're all finding being in that same position um, so inspiring stories we talked about it a while ago and it's a really hard one because actually there's so many inspiring stories out there but it's getting people to talk about them and think that what they're doing is actually um worth sharing I think that's really hard for people to do but all stories are interesting because this huge unexpected event happens as Jodie Day calls it it's living the life unexpected and I love that phrase because it's absolutely true isn't it that it's, it is living that life unexpected and what you plan to do isn't exactly what you 
you you end up doing sometimes yeah very much so and I've, I've certainly found that the ordeal phase of um the grief of not being able to have children probably went on for a couple of decades and mm. I'm at the other end of that and feeling a lot more comfortable with my grief like I just get little mm. bubbles every now and then but it really was a long, hard road to get to this place of, of feeling a degree of acceptance with, with my life as it is now. But it's, it's really good now. And I think anyone who's sort of come through the really hard part of that journey and is feeling in a good place, regardless of how they're living their life, I think that can be an inspiration to people who are really in the midst of that deep grief in relation to not being able to have children. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's... And that, that's the reason, you know, why I've, I thought about you, Susan, is just that um, uh, just uh, from that short uh, uh, video that you sent me and, and other things, you know, you've actually got a, a, a really inspiring story that um, hopefully can give hope to other people and, and the work that you're doing to help other people as well. So, yeah, good on you. Could you explain a little bit more about what it, your, for those that don't know about you and your husband and your story, would you be comfortable just sharing a little bit about your, the, the background to your story and what you're doing now for the benefit of our listeners? Oh, absolutely. Um, I live in a fairly remote part of Western Victoria in Australia in the Grampians National Park, which is a very beautiful um, forest system, uh, sandstone, escarpment, lots of eagles and um, echidnas and emus and just this myriad of bird, bird life. And it's an incredibly beautiful place. And we spend a lot of time growing a lot of food. And for the last couple of decades, we've also taken people out on wilderness adventures. And more recently, um, I've been offering uh, some rites of passage experiences on the land here. I have a great sense of wanting to share the land and the incredible beauty of it. And I think perhaps if I had had children, that that um, ability to share the land with my children might have um, been enough of an experience of sharing this place. But I don't have kids and I really have a strong... Um, desire and I've been fulfilling that desire to bring other people onto the land so that they can experience it and share it and have even though it might be a transitory uh, community of people coming onto the land it really does feel like it connects me to the broader human community which in my journey with childlessness has been um, one of the great difficulties of finding those ways to connect with people who have children and are busy with children and who do not understand the grief of what it is not to be able to have children when that's something that you have been desiring possibly possibly your whole life. Um, so to find those connections with people has, has been quite difficult. And I sort of went a roundabout way to get to that connectedness with other people through um, turning away from the human community because it just seemed so harsh and uh, there wasn't very much understanding for my position as being a childless woman. And the grief that I experienced around that. So turning away from that human community and really starting to focus more on the uh, natural environment around me, the animals, the plants, the wind, the mountains, the, the rain, all, all of that became, in a sense, my community that I felt connected to and which um, 
I didn't feel any sense of judgment and I also felt quite a degree of support and and within that really deep grief of being childless I found moments of um, increasing comfort within that incredible discomfort of my grief so if I was out in a, a wild landscape um, my grief would sort of go to the background a little bit and I'd just get this sense of um, uh, it was almost like awe or uh, paying attention to what was around me and feeling a sense of connectedness to the birds and the animals and and a sense of peacefulness uh, even within that that time when I was experiencing deep grief around not having children so um, through having had that experience myself and that healing um, potential that I find in the natural environment I've um, decided that it's it's really good to offer that opportunity to other people and people have been coming and they've been loving being here and they feel a sense of connection with each other their, their mobile phones and their computers are not there and they're just with each other with the wild environment here perhaps with the fire with good food and conversation and there's so there's a good sense of human connection as well as the ability to extend a sense of self out into the natural environment around around us so that, that's sort of where I'm at at the moment in terms of offering the um, retreats for women who are childless, not by choice. Wow, that sounds incredible. So it's almost like, I guess, finding your space again, finding where you fit in the community in the bigger world, which I think is always a struggle, isn't it, when you are facing childless, not by being childless, not by choice. Definitely. And if you are having trouble finding it in your everyday community, your work community, in the fam young families that might, you might be surrounded by, then to step out of that, step out of that um, normal life and to be with women who also are experiencing that journey of childlessness and that grief of that childlessness. But um, to, to meet with those women in a supportive natural environment and to um, sit in some circle discussion sessions, some carefully facilitated discussion sessions can be a really unifying bonding experience. So you start to make connections with other people in the community of childless, not by choice, but then also the extension of self as part of the broader natural world, which also makes other connections, which you don't normally experience when we're being human centric and, being surrounded by families and small children. Wow. <laughs> I've, I've thus left me speechless because it just sounds, I can't even begin to comprehend how that would feel. Well, it's just a whole other network of relationships which we seem to have forgotten as uh, modern humans that for a large part of being, of, of human history, of being human, that there has been the perception that nature was an extension of who we are rather than something separate to us. And with that sense of um, ourselves being nature and nature being us, suddenly there's this myriad network of relationships that are available that both support and nurture and um, create a sense of belonging. When I think it's really hard as a childless, not by choice person to find that sense of belonging within our everyday communities. And it's great to have the childless not by choice community to turn to and to be part of but I think the opportunity for even a greater sense of belonging within a, the natural environment is um, something that perhaps we haven't tapped into very much yet recently in recent years as, as humans I mean. 
I think it has the potential to to um to uh, the whole issue at the moment that we have around this and it's something I I keep I talk about a lot I've tried to change or I've been changing how my attitude is towards the planet and towards the climate crisis um that we are in and there must be a huge amount of potential for our community through the work that you're doing that I know there's a few other people in the UK are doing um in a smaller scale but that kind of connection and back to nature and finding that healing which which I found an awful lot um in the past few years despite living in the middle of a city I find it's beneficial but there must be a huge untapped potential I think perhaps there to to to, to look more openly and more honestly about our planet I mean undoubtedly you as Michael has been have been affected by the fires and the issues in Australia at the moment and you're you're in a place where obviously the planet I think the forefront almost really of how our planet is changing yes it's been um, a hard summer and it's been difficult to um, watch our leaders not make the connection between burning fossil fuels, climate change, and the increasing intensity of fires in the Australian landscape. It's been very frustrating <laughs> and hard to, um, oh gee, not get lost in that despair really, of, of really, mm. really poor leadership. But um, I keep turning back to the natural world that I'm surrounded by and planting my seeds in the ground and watching them come up out of the ground and staying focused in that small space, uh, keeping my mind focused in that small space. I think uh, one of you ladies has been doing meditation recently, haven't you? And it's, I think it's a similar thing to be really focused in the now with the, with the growing life form that I'm dealing with, the seed and the plant. Mm. Mm. and not to continually have that big picture of what terrible leadership we have in relation to uh, making modifications on reducing our fossil fuel use. I think that's a, a good point. Yeah, I, I meditate a lot and I'd slipped for a long time and I started to go back and do that again. And I think it's, it is, it's finding your own space and understanding that as individuals, we do have the power to make changes. Um, it's very easy I've, I've certainly found and I think it's a it's a strand I found an awful lot um similarly in this country where without wanting to get too political <laughs> we try to be not political but you can't help but think it's a similar situation that we're in a position I think in this country a great change where it can feel like the world is somewhat out of control but actually this morning going out into my garden and the the robin is there we got several robins and there's um the squirrels tormenting my dogs um but <laughs> all these things going on that actually um nature nature is still there it's still around it's still with us it's still continuous and it's so very very precious as well isn't it oh, it's so precious and i to live in a city and to have those experiences of the robin in your garden in the morning and just how um enlivening that is for your heart it, it speaks to exactly what i'm talking about in terms of mm. the moments of comfort within mm. the discomfort of the bigger bigger global picture or the discomfort of the grief of of being childless mm. 
yeah because sometimes it can feel quite um feel quite powerless i think sometimes but it's just trying to find those bits go plant a tree do something like that we can all do something very small i love the um the way that you're living and living from the ground and i think in in the film you say about um 70 percent of your um produce is is grown i think that's absolutely incredible um have, that must feel very very rewarding to you it does it really does um it sustains us on a physical level of course with the food but then there's this incredible pleasure in relating to the plants, in putting the plants in the ground, in feeding them, in watching them go through their full life cycle, in them fruiting and then their fruits feeding us. And um, there's another part to that which really, really sort of segues in or, or connects in with um, the grief of being childless, not by choice. And that's that I think part of that grief is wanting to have that deep connection with a baby like wanting that deep bond really craving you know with between mothers and babies the hormone which contributes to that deep sense of connectedness is oxytocin you know that which is released when when a woman's feeding so there's that the oxytocin hormone creates that sense or contributes to that sense of bondedness and connectedness between the mother and the child when you're out in the garden and you stick your hands in the ground and you're dealing with seeds and plants and you're dealing with rich, healthy soil, your brain, just because we've been hardwired for, for millennia to relate to soil as a, as a basis of sustenance, of a basis of food, your brain releases oxytocin when it smells healthy soil. So you get this opportunity to have a sense of deep connectedness through your engagement or in your involvement with earth with soil and i just think that that's so potently beautiful and supportive and great for our community to really get out there and have that opportunity to have more oxytocin going off and and you know as, as a bit of a um um something to ease the sense of grief a little bit in those moments when we've got our hands in the ground so funny you say that I gave up gardening for a couple of years as I went through my grief. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't sort of create life because I couldn't create life. So I started gardening again this year. How weird is that? That's <laughs> interesting. I, yeah. I, 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 I got into gardening. I, my grief, I worked it out through gardening mm. um, because we've got weirdly a very big garden for the middle of the city. And it's, it's gosh, it must have been. I don't know, head high in, in weeds and God knows what when we moved in. And I just went out there and just started digging and digging and digging and digging. And one of the most beautiful things is actually being able to have a, I've got a flower garden bit now, which brings me so much joy, the excitement mm. at the moment of going out and seeing the bulbs poking through. I'm just, it's just, I think she's just so happy. I'm like, oh, there's something else is growing yet. And you get the disasters, but you find all the, the, the good bits too. And I think one of the most exciting things is sticking your hands into a bucket, just a bucket. That's all you ever need is just a bucket. And you can grow potatoes and that's how I started and you get stick your hands into that and you, you, you get dirty and it's just like oh, got it like little golden nuggets it's just it's so it's so exciting and it's so good for the planet as well it reduces food miles it's good for the bees it's good for everything I passionately believed in that I 
and it saved me in many ways lots of stuff saved me but i do on a much smaller scale i think that nature is so incredibly powerful but dirty soil good dirty healthy soil is an amazing thing <laughs> well i've also i've also got a story like that just down the road from us is a community garden and um vicky and i had a couple of plots there and um and it's a um organic they, they they use organic principles so um um, anyway, we started growing and it became, I was happy with just one plot because it killed me to bloody turn the soil over by hand, I tell you, because they're quite big. And, and um, Vicky was just, yeah, that, that's your thing. You go and do that, Michael. I don't want to do that. Anyway, one day she's come down and, um, oh, this is all right, this, isn't it? And it makes a lot of sense what you what you, you girls are talking about because Vicky was exactly the same. She it it became an obsession, and mm. you know she would watch those plants grow, and she got a lot of satisfaction from that. And it makes a lot of sense in what you how you, how you explained it, Susan. The problem was for us is that she wouldn't pick anything. She wouldn't she wouldn't pull anything out of the ground. She wouldn't pick anything at all. Um, and she, and she actually said, no, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not my babies. I can't. I can't pull them out of the ground. I just let them grow. Except potatoes. It she, was, she was like a woman possessed when, we start, when I started digging up potatoes because, like you said, it was, it was this like gold rush. Uh, it was very, very exciting. It was actually quite exciting and, and um, very interesting to watch. So I'm on board with exactly what you're saying. Sarah, how did it feel when you started gardening again after your two years absence from gardening? Has become so. I've literally just started up again this year, so I've been feverishly cleaning all the pots and decluttering, and it felt a bit emotional actually. It felt, um, I don't know, it, it feels exciting, but also a bit like, oh, you know, where am I going with this? What what is this actually representing? Because you know, as Michael and Berenice know, I'm a trainee counsellor, so everything comes back to the brain and why you're doing certain things, why you're saying certain things. So it, it interests me that I've suddenly got this desire to pick it up. And I think some of it is that I do feel I've turned not the whole corner, but a little bit of the corner in terms of grieving. So I think that might relate to it. But yeah, it did feel emotional when I first went back in that potting shed. And well, I say emotional, I was screaming and swearing because all the spiders started coming out. <laughs> and Michael said, show me these spiders. I don't think they're going to be anything like they are in, the, in, the, um, in Australia. <laughs> Au contraire, Michael, they were huge. <laughs> but yeah, it did, it, 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 I feel excited, but also, you know, I feel a little bit emotional about it. Yeah, well, those, those steps, I guess, those... Um steps towards things that inspire you or that bring a sense of being energized i think when you reconnect with them there is the potential for that emotion to come up i was just going to say um just so i could take it off on a different tact <clears throat> so for, for the listeners out there that are getting intrigued by your retreats susan what would they expect what would a day look like uh, because I can imagine that some people be quite interested, but actually, you know, a bit apprehensive. 
consider, considering oh. the community we're talking to here about it. So, yeah. yeah, give us a bit of that. Well, you sort of drive in down this long forested driveway and there's this big, massive sandstone escarpment and then you come to the, um, the boat shed, which is where we've parked this 40-foot ocean-going yacht underneath this shed, uh, this beautiful old sailing boat. And that's partly the accommodation for people who will be staying. People who do stay, people who have already stayed in it, they love it. And then outside there's this big open kitchen with all big old timbers and a sink and a bench and a nice little lounge area with potted plants and, and a huge vaulted ceiling of this hay shed, this Australian hay shed. Um, so that's sort of the, the physical environment. And then I would greet everyone when they arrive and I reckon there'd be a bit of nervousness. There always is a little bit of nervousness when people first turn up. Um, both on, on my behalf and the people who are arriving, you know, meeting new people. And then there's, um, so people are settled into their accommodation and then the next morning we would start a council session. So sitting in council, sitting in circle together and um, uh, passing a talking piece around the circle and introducing ourselves to each other. One of, the, one of the things that I really like to ask women when they first arrive is, can you tell me a story about a significant woman in your life? A, a grandma, a great aunt, maybe your mother. Tell us a story about that person. And so that brings up those really um, nice, warm feelings and connections that we have with the women in our life, the ancestral women in our life, our grandmothers. And, and as soon as you start to talk about your grandma, there's this feeling of comfort and um, connection and, and like that's the beginning of the the whole retreat generally how the hell do you have an ocean going yacht hundreds of kilometers away from the coast because i know where the grampians are it's ridiculous i know uh, I went to Fiji and i bought this really old yacht and we sailed it back to australia through a couple of incredibly big storms and it ended up um, in the port of melbourne uh, which is about 300 k's from where we are and we thought, right, we'll pull it out of the water. If we pull it out of the water and leave it in the marina on the ground there, we're going to be paying hundreds of dollars every month to just have it sitting on the ground there. Let's stick it on a truck and, and bring it home and uh, get a crane and stick it in the ground. We dug a hole for the keel to sit in, dumped it into the, the hole. It sits there. We filled in the hole now because it's not coming out again. And uh, we thought we were going to do it up and then sail it again. But now it's just this amazing funky accommodation for the retreats that that we run here so just on a whim you thought oh, i'm just going to sail from yeah fiji or you know in yeah this yeah well another part of my story um which co coincided with being childless was that i had breast cancer so th those two events were pretty big events in my life and and they were very interconnected and um uh the breast cancer came back twice so the second time when it metastasized into my um neck area i wasn't really i didn't really know if i was going to live for much longer so i i just thought well i really want to experience ocean sailing so let's go and get a boat and let's do it and if i die john will have a boat and he can continue sailing around the world and have something to distract him um as it turns out uh how many years later uh eight years later i'm very healthy and the boat's in the paddock and yeah, that's part of that story. Wow. Wow. Kudos, kudos to you. That's, uh, that 
you know, um, that I'm, I'm speechless because that would be the sort of thing that I would love to have done. But um, get, getting back to some of your adventures, um, what I'd like to say to you is that um, that that the, um, Wild Magazine was a big part of my life back in the day when I was younger and lighter, and um, and so it's been it's really great to to connect with you and and you know and remember some of the stories I'd read in there, you know, about you and your husband and, and what some of the incredible things you've got up to. So what, what's, well, what's one you. of the, <laughs> what's one of the most memorable, memorable experiences? I oh, know, cause I know you've had a lot, but what's the one that comes to mind right now? Yep. Uh, Lake Eyre, middle of Australia, the lowest point in Australia. It's a huge salt, salt lake. Um, probably the size of, well, it's 120 k's long and 50 k's wide. And it's in the middle of the Simpson Desert, which is the one of the driest, Simpson and Terari Deserts, which is the driest area of Australia. So it's this huge salt lake. It had about, um, in 2011, Cyclone Yazi hit the north of Australia and sent all that water down into uh, the Murray-Darling Basin and, it came down through into Lake Eyre and Lake Eyre was about thigh deep across this vast expanse, this vast salt lake. And John and I decided to paddle across it by kayak. Now it's 120 k's long. And if you get stuck in the middle, if you know, if you get a strong headwind and you get stuck there, you, the last two people that have tried to do it basically got helicopter rescued out of there. Cause you can't, you can't walk out. It's just this, you know, knee deep mud for 50 k's either side. So, it's a very committing journey. Anyway, so we set off before um, before the sun rose in this double kayak and we paddled through the day and then we paddled through the night and we're heading south down the deepest little groove in the middle of the lake. And in the middle of the night, um, the, the wind cut out altogether and it was a totally clear night. There were just stars everywhere above us. And because the water was totally flat, no ripples or anything, the stars were reflected in the water as well. And when we stopped paddling, we were just gliding through this sphere, through this universe of stars. It was exactly like just being in, you know, in outer space, just wow. gliding out of space. Yeah. Wow. That must've been awesome. Did you get any pictures? Um, not at that. Oh. <laughs> we did get, because we wrote a, I wrote a story for um, Australian Geographic about yep. that journey. So there's pictures in there. I probably read that too. <laughs> well, I, subscribe, I, I, I subscribe to the Australian Geographic as well, so I probably read that. But uh, the Australian yeah. Adventure Magazine, really, isn't it? That one. It's like yeah. the best one. Yeah. yeah, it is. I've had my fanboy moment, girls. <laughs> you know, it's we went really quiet, so you could have it. <laughs> yeah, we just let you get on with it, mate. Go on, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a good spot for some community news. Those girls give me a hard time, don't they? Now, Sophia Ende is in the midst of her master's dissertation. Now, she's researching the experience of women without children who have undergone coaching to try and raise awareness in this area. Now, she's reached out to us as it's proving quite hard to find women who have undergone coaching from someone who is a coach. Sophia is looking to interview participants during March, April and May. Now, if there's anyone out there who'd like to help Sophie out, we'll leave her contact details in the show notes. 
May is also going to be a big month. It's our first birthday. Vic and I will be travelling to the UK so that Sarah, Berenice and I can be together for that show. Now, of course, that will come out in June. Now, an invite has been sent to all those on our mailing list via the website. Now, if you'd like to come along and haven't subscribed, naughty, contact one of us or jump over to our Facebook page where you'll find all the information. Invitations are limited, so no procrastinating. Now, all our links to our socials can be found on our website, www.thefullstoppod.com. If there is anyone out there who would like an announcement made over the podcast, we would be only too happy to do that for you. Just give us plenty of notice. At least four weeks would be good. Okay. And as Graham Norton would say, let's get on with the show. I think there's so much that people can take from this um, mm. and I'm just sitting here just thinking wow it's amazing because there's so much to, to, to learn from from what you've been through um, and how you're living your life now that's so important it's so topical it's just so right um, it gives me another reason along with many others um, to come to Australia. I just want to see this this yacht and just find out more about what you're doing. Definitely. It's amazing. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> I'm looking up flights at the moment, don't worry. I'm trying to work out. I was trying to work out. There's actually I found this thing the other week because I I'm daughter of a railway man, so my life's mostly left by train and I try really hard to be flight free. And I found um this is fantastic site called Man at on Man at Seat 61, and it's all about train travel across the world and everywhere. And you can actually get by train from the UK to Australia. So I think that, that's go. actually on my list. I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll come with you. Do you reckon you can get there <laughs> yeah. by March? Do you reckon you can make it by March? Well, possibly, <laughs> but I've got to be back here by, by May. Um, or either Michael's going to have to pack me um, in his suitcase because that's a rather spoiler thing, I suppose. We we can nicely sequentially into the fact that Michael is coming over to the UK in, in May for our first birthday. Um, so, yes, Sarah, we'll have to go back. Yes, we have to go back. So, yes, you can come with me. Yeah, we'll do a return <laughs> trip for birthday number two because I'm sure... I hope we'll still be here anyway. <laughs> yeah, we should. I was just wondering... Um, Oh, sorry, Michael. No, I was just, you go ahead, right ahead, Sarah. I was, I was just, just going to ask um, what the future holds uh, for you. What what other plans have you got? Because you've had a heck of a life. I'm just wondering what other things you've got to do or you want to do. Well, I, I'm really diving even more deeply into understanding this land right here around me, this landscape that I live in, the soil around me, um, the food resources that are here. I just discovered an edible mushroom last uh week i've lived here for 18 years and i was totally unaware of it there's this mushroom uh it actually comes from scotland called the scots bonnet or fairy ring mushroom anyway so really diving into an understanding of the land here and finding the stories and the myths that relate between myself and this landscape you know creating um you know how the aboriginal people had their dreamtime stories of this land and the celtic people in Britain had, had their dream time stories. I don't know if that's quite what they're called, but they're stories about relationship between humans and land and land and humans. And I'm wanting to find those stories for myself about my own relationship with this land here that I live on. So that's my really deep focus at the moment. 
That sounds incredible. Wow. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't know what to say. It's so deep, isn't it? It's so just, it's almost going back to basics, isn't it? To find your basics meaning and your indeed. purpose. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. It's that Robin, Robin in the garden, you know, that, that mm. moment, mm. the flowers, the emotion in the potting shed. It's all of that reconnecting with the nature that is available to you around you that, mm. that creates some sense of comfort within the discomfort of the grief, I think. Mm, it's part of it anyway mm. yeah I think it is there's a thing that I've been trying to do for for homework for my meditation or not not even trying because it's actually quite easy to do it's mindful walking um but it's been a bit rough the weather's been a bit bad it's also very strange walking without a dog I found it a bit disconcerting um but one of the most powerful things that that I've learned um last summer in not that it's necessarily so much a heat wave um, compared to the temperatures you have, but of course it's been getting hotter here in the UK and I struggle a bit with that. It, it worries me actually and frightens me a bit, but meditating outside has been really exciting to do as well. Again, it's another small thing I think that people can perhaps do if they don't feel like they want to yet tackle kind of potting sheds and, and growing things, but actually just sitting and being at peace in a garden or in a park is an incredibly powerful thing to do. Um, and connects us back to um, nature I think it's very hard to do that um, in our busy world to go off grid and to take time out but I think it it's a very important thing to do even if we only do it for for a short while maybe it's for an, an evening or an afternoon but learning to sort of control to, to, to allow nature in. Um, I guess in some kind of convoluted way, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that one of the things that pops up so often, and we're almost guilty of it by being a podcast, actually, which is a bit annoying, of a podcast and we use social media to share our message, but social media and people's distance, I think, from each other because of that is one of the themes that pops up so often um, in oh gosh, in so many things we see in, in our episodes, in support groups, even the Christmas um, episode that we did and talking about how people deal with that and that distance through, you know, the, the internet can bring us all closer together. Without it, we wouldn't be speaking to you. We wouldn't have made that connection with Michael. But at the same time, it's controlling that. And sometimes I think that fluidity and flexibility of nature and how it just adapts um, one of the most loveliest things that I've seen on the television recently over here was how nature is recovering from the fires that you've experienced in Australia and that there is just these small little glimmers of, of, of nature just coming back and it just is it's incredibly emotional see god knows what it's like for you guys it must be just incredibly powerful from from over here on the other side of the world I mean I was in tears watching it because it just reminds you of how nature is adaptable and there's probably lessons I think maybe we can all learn in that in how we connect with each other and how technology can kind of control us to this huge degree and then you see nature just kind of going ah oh, I'm gonna just kick back and I'm gonna fight it and get on with it and, <laughs> and it's quite rewarding to see that. I think there's incredible reflections in the natural world which is why I work with it with people one of the exercises that we invariably do is that um, each person is asked to think about something in their life that that's quite challenging for them or that they're working with at the moment or that creates difficulty or emotional stress for them um, 
and to take that for a walk, a half hour or two hour walk out into the natural environment around where we live, like to take time away from the other retreat participants and to go out solo and to just observe what happens around you in the natural world in relation to the question or the challenge that you're holding in your mind at that time. And then when you come back from um, having seen a bird or a, um, an echidna or a, a plant strangling a tree or a, a dead tree regrowing or whatever it might be, and you come back with that story about what you saw as you were holding that particular challenge in your mind, and you tell that story to the group, then um, my job is to mirror that story back to the person and to um, uh, show the links that are, sorry about that noise. So my, my job is to then mirror the story back to that woman and for her to see how the nature is actually interacting with her in that moment with her psychological space, like the awareness of the nature around her. It's not this dead unconscious thing it's something that she's actually interacting with psychologically so an example of this would be the other day there's a nest that's just outside um, my bedroom and it's been created by two little uh, honey eaters and they had three chicks in there and in the middle of them coming and feeding their chicks this wattle bird this little wattle bird came in and started bringing insects and started feeding the chicks that were not its own chicks at all and the honey eaters were making a whole fuss and going, ah, oh, go away, this is our, these are our babies. Like, you can't look after them, you can't help. Piss off, basically. And the water bird just kept coming and coming and feeding the um, little babies. And so these babies had three parents. And the water bird was just determined, like, I'm going to nurture these chicks. I don't care if they're not my own. I'm just going to, I'm doing this. And the chicks fledged and they flew off and the honey eater parents left and the water bird left. And I just thought, wow. I really feel like I need to spend some really quality time nurturing some other people's children. And so then I set up this resilient girls program, which is also starting this year for 11 to 13 year old girls to come once a month on a Sunday and do a skill-based activity in the natural world and then sit in council together and talk about that experience or the experience of being 11 to 13 years old and making that transition into young adulthood. And so that really sprang from this experience of watching these um, birds uh, nesting and the wattle bird who was not the parent coming in and being involved in looking after these chicks that were not its own. So that that's sort of an example of me finding myself mirrored by nature and, and learning from that. Wow. So there's, I wonder whether you would have been able to do that a few years ago. Is this progress for you maybe? Oh, definitely progress for me. I wouldn't have been able to do this a few years ago. I would have been um, just in tears, weeping about the fact that these other women had these 11-year-old girls and I didn't, um, you know, 10 years ago. There's no way no one I would be able to do this. It's definitely um, progress. It's definitely part of my journey. Um, it's what I need. I need to have a relationship with with young women and I've also been running retreats for college-based women in, in the natural world too and they are around the age that my children would be if I'd had children when I wanted to have kids if I'd been able to have kids so I find quite a strong connection with that sort of early 20s age group. Mm.
So I'm interested um, reading reading some of the stuff you sent us. Um, I, a little story about me. Um, some time ago, I was part of a project that was using some of Joseph Campbell's um, ideas of um, um, how, we were developing a story and using Joseph Campbell's ideas of you know the various roles in his his work. So, listen, reading about your uh, rites of passage training that you did, um, mm. I, I actually found that you, I I found a an art, a, an interview that you'd done with someone and it escapes me now but um the way that you explained it um about how rites of passage work i, th I found it quite profound so um could you tell us about that about that yeah yeah look it really it, it really i went to study how to facilitate rites of passage in colorado in 2017 and it just was immediately apparent that being childless not by choice is a rite of passage and it's a really potent rite of passage. A rite of passage has three phases. It has severance or separation from community. It has the ordeal phase where you go through a big challenge where your sense of self is reshaped. And then it has returning to community. So coming back into community. They're the th with your newly found strengths and sense of self. So they're the three phases, severance, ordeal, return. And just by default, if you can't have kids and you want to have kids, you're suddenly on the outer edge of what it is to be a modern day human. You're in the periphery. You're sort of circulating around the, the outside of, of all of that activity around raising children. And you are, or I, I felt, and I've heard many other childless women say that they also feel quite isolated or separate from the community of raising small children. So there is that, that, severance or that separation by default and then there's the ordeal phase which is that time when you're experiencing deep grief around the realization that you're not going to have these children that you dreamed for for so long and unfortunately for people who are childless not by choice that ordeal phase can go on for a decade or you know 15 years or for me personally it was 15 years of of quite a lot of grief and just wondering how I was going to get through this and how I was going to be connected to other people because everyone else was busy with their kids. And, you know, when I was first experiencing being childless, there weren't communities of people who were childless, not by choice. It was what people did by themselves. There was no sense of community. So that's the ordeal phase. And then the return is when you've come to some point where you're no longer identifying yourself by whether you do or don't have children necessarily, but you're a person who has particular strengths and qualities and purpose, new purpose for yourself. It's like that plan B idea, right? When you, when you develop that sense of plan B and then you, um, but I would say it's not really my plan B. It's just who I am different to if I had been a mother. Um, so when you get that sense of, okay, I've got this purpose, I'm going to continue with this, um, I feel grief, but I'm not being overwhelmed by my grief anymore, and then you're able to return into community and bring that, that sense of self and that new purpose and inspiration back into community with you. And whether that's a community of people who are raising small children or, or childless not by choice community, or whether it's... Um, you, I don't know if you, you read the intro that I sent you... Um, Sarah and Berenice, but did you? Did you read that? 
because in that I spoke about um, the community of nature and how I actually realised during my ordeal phase, during my grief phase, that my primary community was the natural world around me. And so suddenly I had another whole community that I was able to reach out into and learn from and get support from and get pleasure and get moments of comfort from. Um, so that was really the community that I decided to return to. And then people that come to the land here and, and do the various retreats or programs that we run here, uh, or even though it's a transitory community, um, they, I still get a sense of connection. And I try and be very open and open-hearted and very in the moment with those people. And so it doesn't really matter whether they're my kid or they're not my kid or whether they're my grandkid or not my grandkid. They're just a person that I'm relating to at a heart level. And so um, that's my work. That's what, that's, that's what my work's about. That's my purpose, really. Um, so that's my return to community, I guess, at the end of my rite of passage. Not even at the end of it. It's really the beginning. <laughs> it's another beginning. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I found that absolutely profound when I read that yesterday. I just, it, you know, when you just get those little morsels of information that just go bing. Well, that was one of them. It it just made so much sense. There is that idea, isn't there, that the whole kind of thing that surrounds, I think, everyone in society, regardless of whether we're um, childless or parents, that people talk an awful lot about loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's defining what loneliness is, because if you think um, that, that we have a community of nature, then the world feels an awful lot more acceptable, a little bit more empathetic. Mm-hmm. I found that, I, again, like Michael said, I found that incredibly profound. I found the, 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 the film um, coverage that you sent to us and that introduction incredibly moving because I'd never necessarily thought about it like that. I think that's going to be an incredibly powerful thing for our a, a concept for our community to, to take on board. I think it has the potential to have so much change in how people feel. Um, as you say, I'm, gosh, I, I don't know how many years I am, but some nine, ten years almost now into my journey but I've seen communities start to form I think this is the the, this year or the last year rather felt like probably one of the most powerful years in terms of people speaking about childlessness and seeing it in the media but I think there's an awful lot of places in the world where it's still not discussed I think that um we see it in our demographics with the, the podcasts and the countries where we're listened to and there are great pockets where it's not listened to um, because I think people just don't talk about it um, or maybe they listen to this and think, I don't quite know where to go, um, where to start or what to do. But taking that concept of, of nature being part of a community is, is a really good place to begin in terms, I think, of tackling loneliness, but also that confidence as well. What I, I think has been so inspiring listening to you is that you're you're taking this this idea in your journey and you're facilitating other people and I know from the three of us when we've spoken away from the podcast how this affects us emotionally so that that emotional pull must sometimes it must sometimes be quite hard and do you find that nature is a way of keeping you balanced because you have to clearly must have to give a lot of you to the work that you're doing 
Yeah, I, I need a lot of time alone walking through the forest or walking up the mountain. I, I have to have that several times a week um, to feel balanced. If I'm feeling really unhappy, I can go and have a good cry up with the trees and just sit sit with the trees and or I can scream, you know. I've got the space to really let it out if I want to, if I need to do that. Um, and I feel, feel filled up by the beauty that I see around me all the time. And the other animals, the, the kangaroos that have got their pouches full of baby joeys. And, um, you know, once upon a time, probably seeing a kangaroo mother with her baby would have brought me to tears because I didn't have a baby. But now when I see those kangaroo mothers with their babies and I see the babies running around, bouncing around and coming back to their mum and throwing their arms around their mum and I just think, oh, wow, you know, this is just incredible and it just makes me so happy that these babies have got these mums that they love and, um, yeah, I need it. I need to be out there in it to fill myself up for the work that I do, certainly. That's amazing. That's lovely to hear because I, I can, I can empathise with that. I think it was some, you know, on the sole basis of a, of a friend's dog having puppies and thinking, oh, it's never going to happen to me. <laughs> Be worrying if it had. But you know, it's that whole idea of, of being someone else. It's that whole fur baby thing. We're not going into that one because um, that's a long story. But it, it is that kind of thing about you know, you just see nature being able to do the things that you can't do, and and that can be triggering but to to go overcome that and to see that there is that nature carries on that that the world carries on I think is an important part perhaps also of of our legacy that whole we've got another episode coming up soon about legacies but it is that kind of leaving our footprint but a a good one a, a a nice footprint on the land for for people to take forward for other generations then it might not be our generations but it's still something for the world to take forward that's really important for everybody i know i had a just cry on um, on the beach i think the whole idea of going out and, and and getting emotional with nature i think it was one of the most rewarding things over christmas was just being able to have a good snotty cry on the beach and there was no one else around it's just lovely and also the big smiles and the sun came out and the sea was there and my dog Wally was running up and down again for me just one of the most rewarding things people say well, why don't you go on holiday why don't you just go and travel the world and actually to me it's the simple things it's just going out for a walk here is just so much pleasure and so much joy it's finding those little pockets of joy I think in your life every day is so important we'll get your information Susan I'll put it in our, our show notes so how would you like people to get in contact with you if there's any inquiries come through? Um, you know, when are you holding um, your next events? Yeah. Um, well, I have a website called grampiansnatureprograms.org. Um, and that's the best way to find out about the programs and to also contact me with any inquiries if you have inquiries. Um, and the, I'm doing three retreats this year for women who are childless, not by choice. So there's one in March, which is a three day um, retreat, which is pretty much just getting together with other childless women, having a good yarn and good food and a little bit of a celebration of just being ourselves in a natural world together. Um, and then in at Easter, there's a four day retreat, which dives a little bit deeper into the uh, grief, just gently into the grief of, being childless and also focuses on self-care and inspiration 
beyond the dream of children. So that's at Easter. And then in November, there is an eight day rite of passage for women. Now this is open to all women and um, could be useful to women at a particular stage in their journey with being childless. Um, and what I've found in, for myself is that to speak about my childlessness amongst people who don't have, who do have children, um, is a way to really empower myself and give myself a voice and to, um, so the opportunities there on the eight day women's rite of passage for women who are childless to be amongst women who have children and to be able to speak about their innermost, you know, if, if, if they so choose about their innermost feelings about their loss and grief around not being able to have children. So I think it's quite empowering to actually be able to be able to talk to the, as, as this is what, part of what this is about, I guess, is to talk to a broader community than, than just the child is not by choice community, mm -hmm. to be able to communicate to people that, that have children what it is that we need, what, what, what are the particular needs that we have as people who have not been able to have children and have a particular sort of grief that, that is with us for our whole life. So, you know, the opportunity to be in a supported, um, facilitated group of, of a mixed group of women that um, don't have children and women that do could be useful for some some women at, at a point in their life. So that's in November, that one. But the first two, March and Easter, are specifically for women who are childless, not by choice. Cool. So we'll make sure we'll get that in the show notes. Um, girls, have you got any more questions? Just to say thank you. Thank you yeah. so very, very much. I, I, I think it's just so rewarding, so powerful. There's so much there that, that I just can take from all of this. I'm absolutely sure that the people who listen to the podcast are too. And just thank you also, Michael, because I, I didn't know about your your work before and i'm just thrilled i'm going to go off and, and watch the film now that's my afternoon sorted out because i think it's just so powerful so thank you michael for, for, for this it's, what's wonderful about the podcast is that we're meeting so many new people and so many different people um, and hearing so many different journeys so as a presenter it's incredibly rewarding um to to talk to you so thank you so very much yeah no, very thank welcome you. lovely lovely to meet you all yeah and um, thank you for inviting me Come and come and chat with you. I was, I've been very excited about about this meeting and this chat, and um, yeah, it's, it's really great to meet you all. So all the best with the rest of your podcast sessions, and um, yeah, I can't I can't wait to to hear about um, the the legacy one that you just mentioned. So I'll be, be looking out for that one. Sadly, we've got to end our chat with Susan there. I'm sure you'd agree with us that she is one inspiring woman. Now, don't forget to sign up at our website, the www.thefullstoppod.com to get all the latest news as Berenice does a fantastic job of our online magazine. You can find all our social links there and we'd love you to drop us a line. If it's just to say hello, we get a real kick from feedback from you all. I still haven't heard from the San Reno audience yet, but I do live in hope. Thank you for listening. And as always... It's important for us to let you know you are not alone. And look, if 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 your your husband's coming to be you know coming to see his mum, and you know he wants someone to have coffee or a drink with, more than happy to. Because girls, you didn't know this, but 
Susan's husband, John, his mother lives in the town that I live in. Oh, you fanboy, you. There yeah. you go. You're turning into a stalker now, mate. You really are. <laughs> it's crossing that line. 